Thanks for joining us for the Center for Wilderness Safety's podcast. Now, here's your host, Cliff Castleman. Well, hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Cliff Castleman. I am the co-founder and current executive director of Center for Wilderness Safety, celebrating 10 incredible years of teaching wilderness medicine and uh, being a national provider of the Red Cross as well. And uh, yeah, welcome to our podcast, our first one since 2009. Holy cow, that's, uh, that's, that's crazy. So anyhow, without any further ado, we figured we'd jump right into one of the most popular topics that we get a lot of questions about, which of course would be wilderness first aid kits. So if you're like me, you've gone to Target or any other name brand shop for that matter and looked at first aid kits, uh, trying to be prepared for what could possibly happen in the backcountry when you're out there with uh, your friends going hiking, camping, canoeing, rock climbing, you name it. Uh, and you've probably seen those thousand piece first aid kits and thought, gee, wow, that's, that's a lot of stuff. I think I'll buy one. And of course you bring it home and you open it up and it's like 900 pieces of band-aids and gauze and you're like, well, I wonder how useful that's going to be out in the woods. When, of course, if you're running through a field of thistles and thorns, your kit will be more than sufficient. Then again, if anything else were to happen in said field, you'd probably be wishing you had a better first aid kit. When you're out and about, enjoying the great outdoors, having a proper first aid kit is essential, but there's a lot more that goes into building a first aid kit than meets the eye. Once you've got your kit built, you have to stay on top of it, it's upkeep, it's maintenance, otherwise it could let you down when you really need it the most. And that would be terrible. Over time, gloves will dry rot or become brittle and will no longer stretch, and instead they'll of course tear and break, which does you no good. Alcohol, iodine, handy wipes, you name it, they can all dry out. Checking them from time to time is certainly worth the cost of opening one of your batch and just ensuring they're all good. Keeping your first aid kit with you even when you aren't in the wilderness promotes being prepared and provides ongoing interaction with your kit, which although you might not think of it, is really essential. You should go out of your way to ensure that your kit is also watertight. Take this from personal experience, or rather, repeat personal experiences. This is important not only to protect the contents from external threats, for example, falling into the drink, but also from any internal liquids that you may not be thinking of, because when you, of course, fall backwards and that one little bottle of ointment goes Well, guess what? Everything in that whole entire bag is now ified. Sorry to be the first one to tell you that. So one of the easiest things that one can do to prevent this from happening is something that I personally do with my first aid kit, which is invest in a lot of and a multitude of various sizes of Ziploc bags. Yep, it's literally that simple. So not only is it great for keeping all of your ointments together, and if one of course becomes ruptured or punctured, then only the items in that bag are affected, but also it really helps me keep organized uh, the items that I need most. So for example, my blister kit is on one little Ziploc bag and I know I can just grab that Ziploc bag and poof, everything I need will be right there. In addition to that, it also helps keep things organized uh, for quick access. So in an emergency, for example, I have all of my bigger gauze rolls in one Ziploc bag so I know, hey, there's severe bleeding, I grab this bag, I should have enough to at least, you know, control the bleeding to the point where I can then stop, take a couple minutes to go back to my first aid kit, you know, get the quick clot if I need it or whatever you have uh, to control the bleeding additionally. Which by the way is a fabulous segue to smellable first aid items. 
I hate segues, I fell off on once. Uh, in any event, so uh, smellable items are obviously things that are bare smellables that are attractants, for better lack of terms. Um, and waterproofing is definitely a great reason to uh, keep things organized, but it also helps and is a very commonly overlooked reason uh, to help your smellables be contained as well. And smellables are not just, you know, big, you know, bloody gauze and everything else. There's so much more as well that you may not actually think of. Things that um, animals, you know, bears and, and other, or mini bears as I like to call them, um, also are able to detect and are attractants, which is, of course, not a good thing. Now, you mentioned bear safety to anyone, and the first thing that comes to mind, obviously, is food, while it, of course, is, you know, correct, um, is just the tip of the iceberg in reality. A bear's nose uh, has at least 150 times more olfactory senses uh, than a human, which means they are, they have got one of the most sensitive noses in the entire animal kingdom, uh, which is amazing. So, but for, unfortunately for us, what that means is that so many things, and not just things that are in our first aid kits, but so many other items are what are called bear smellables, meaning that they telegraph uh, a unique smell. And of course, a bear is like, hey, what's that? And, you know, comes out and checks it out. Um, everything from, you know, just in your first aid kit, we've got Band-Aids, Brillo pads, uh, medications, tapes, uh, foot powder, anything like that. And then uh, anything, you know, clothing, anything, eating, cookware, trash, all that, you know, common stuff as well. Um, so just beware of that. Um, we'll talk about bear safety in another podcast later on. Uh, so stay tuned for that for sure. All right, enough about bear safety and whatnot. Again, we'll talk about that later on. Uh, let's move on to restocking your first aid kit, which is just as important. One of the easiest ways one can keep track of your first aid kit contents is after using things. First of all, uh, you should have an inventory sheet stuck in your kit somewhere. Um, mine's noise in the first couple of pages of the first aid uh, field guide that I have stuck in there, so I know where it's at. Um, but that list should have not only the list of every single item in your first aid kit, it also should have the quantities uh, and then of course any expiration dates uh, and of course the last time you swap things out. So if you have you know gloves, yeah, it's true that nitrile gloves, you know, they last you know at least four or five years plus. That said, you know, dry rot and whatever else. Plus, if I keep my first aid kit in the car for extra, you know, during the summertime, you know, eh, I'm going to be switching them out every year or so at least, um, if not sooner. So, in any event, it's nice to mark down what you've used, um, but as we all know, that's not always a possibility. So, one trick you can do is to pick up your wrappers, clean up the scene, of course, leave no trace, um, and, you know, bring that back with you to restock later on. Um, another idea is to mark down on your soap note or patient assessment form what you were used uh, or what was used on the patient, pardon me. Uh, make it a habit to check your first aid kit before and after each outing and of course, especially if you didn't use it and other people have access to it. My Boy Scout troop, for example, they're always going through stuff so every single trip, you know, before and after, I don't ever uh, assume that, you know, someone didn't go in there and use something for training or what have you, so that is certainly imperative. One of the next questions I want to talk about, because it's very common, has to do with expiration dates and just how important are they. Um, well, before I go into that, let me tell you um, medications. Uh, I'm, I'm a huge proponent of better living through chemistry. Um, and with that said, I've seen a lot of different things as far as how people carry medications with them. One of the most common things, of course, is a big old bottle of aspirin or Advil. 
um, which is not the best of things in my opinion, just simply because it takes up a lot of space. You know, unless you open up, look at inside, and know exactly how many you have. Um, you know, people just shake it up like, oh yeah, I've got a couple, you know, and you need like at least four or six, for example, and there's like two in there. It's terrible. Plus it's a waste of space, as I said. So um, then of course I've seen people dump the, you know, 100 count bottle of aspirin into a Ziploc baggie, you know, right on the outside aspirin. And then of course that rubs off and then you're left with white powder and uh, which is questionable. Um, so personally what I like to do is I carry the generic uh, individual do wrap tablets. There are usually one or two tablets per pack, and I know exactly how many I have. I know what the medication is. I know when it expires, and then if I use it, I simply keep the wrapper. I fold it up. I put it back in the little baggie, and I know exactly how many to restock later on. As a quick side note, uh, any sort of prescription medication should never be repackaged. That's a legal issue. Just FYI. All right. So back to the original question at hand, uh, when do medications actually expire? And this is one that we get a lot in class and a lot of emails and phone calls and whatnot. It's a very hot button topic nowadays. Um, and now the FDA and Department of Defense have both done significant studies on the matter. The answer is yes. Um, I realize that's not an acceptable answer to the question at hand, but let me explain the findings uh, and hopefully impart a little bit of knowledge um, and try to clear some things up, I suppose. Uh, so here it is. The general consensus is that the most, uh, most medications become less potent or effective over time as the what's called bioavailability decreases, basically how effective are they, right? While the studies have shown that most medications simply become less effective over time, they also showed that several medications actually do go bad. Um, as with you know, potency levels decrease, toxicity levels can increase. Uh, aspirin, by the way, is a clear example. If you ever open up aspirin and it smells like cat urine and there's no cat to be found, uh, that means it has now gone bad. On the flip side, um, expiration dates printed on medications denote the time period where the potency of the medication begins to drop below 90%. 90% of course being uh, okay as per FDA. Um, so they require those level to be at least 90 to 110% to be quote unquote active, um, which means you get what you're paying for. Um, so the conclusion is for the most part, many drugs, especially OTC medications uh, over the counter, uh, actually retain at least 90% if not more of their potency anywhere from one to five additional years after the printed expiration date after which they quickly lose potency and become either inert or in some cases as I said go bad the only medications found to retain active potency for upward of 20 years uh, which is incredible by the way are amoxicillin which of course is a prescription uh, Cipro which is also a prescription uh, Morphone which of course is also a prescription and diphenhydramine better known as Benadryl, which of course is over the counter. So the rule of thumb is yes, it may work, but it's better to be just, you know, making sure to give people medications when it says they're within expiration, just to make sure they're getting the right amount of potency and meaning it's actually going to work. Because nicely put, if you're giving aspirin to someone who's having a heart attack and the aspirin is ineffective, wow, you think they're having a bad day before? It's just gonna get worse. Sorry. All right, last but not least, I want to talk a brief little bit about first aid kit contents. 
The actual contents of a well-stocked wilderness first aid kit will, of course, vary depending on not only the type and location of the activity you're doing, um, but of course the number of people it's supposed to be used for as well as the duration of the outing. While you certainly want your kit to be versatile enough to handle most any emergency, weight is of course also a factor. Sure, if we could bring it all with us, and didn't have to carry it, we would bring everything plus the kitchen sink. Remember though, the best first aid kit honestly that has ever existed is the one between your ears. Uh, just think MacGyvering, right? Taking things you have and using them in a different way. Well, that's all the time we have today, folks. Thank you so much for spending some time with us learning about Wilderness First Aid Kits. If you'd like to learn more about Wilderness First Aid Kits and medications and oh so much more, feel free to give a look at our brand new book, which was just published, called Wilderness Medicine, What to Do When You Can't Call 911, available online at www.wildsafe.org book, coming out to Kindle and the Apple iBook Store and many others, including Barnes & Noble as well, in January of 2017.